Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and best practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Kinetic Enterprise Built to Evolve presented by Deloitte. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote I found from Steve Flanagan, Chief Executive at the Fremantle Trust. Listen up and this will set the stage for our very, very important topic today. He said, improving the health and well-being of our employees offers a win-win all around. Okay, key word in there? well-being. So let me tell you more about our show today. Shifting from a built-to-last enterprise to a built-to-evolve kinetic enterprise will require your people to step up in unprecedented ways. Never been asked to do this before. Supporting innately human needs and qualities. We're talking about ideas, innovation, inclusivity, and that keyword I mentioned, well-being, will be essential to the success of your organization's transformation. I have three Deloitte consulting leaders with me today in a minute minute and a half, you'll be hearing from them, Jen Fisher, Darwin Diano, and Nishida Henry. They're going to discuss key steps your business can take to make your people and your cultures, and I have that in plural here, transformation ready and ready to evolve. You're going to hear their insights and how you can support new levels of innovation while addressing the transformation-related stress, big word, on the workforce. They'll also share novel ideas for how you can harness startup communities and broader innovation tactics to leverage a diversity of perspectives, all with the goal of helping you build a more kinetic enterprise. So our topic today is the kinetic enterprise, reimagining well-being during a transformation. Now it's my pleasure to have our first guest introduce herself, Jen Fisher at Deloitte. Please tell everybody a little bit about you, Jen, and why this topic is important to you. Great. Thanks for having me on the show. Jen Mm -hmm. Fisher, I'm the Chief Well-Being Officer here at Deloitte. Uh, And I am really responsible for setting the strategy, the programs, the tools, the resources for all of our people at Deloitte, over 100,000 of them them in the U.S. firm, um, to really empower them, their well-being. And the reason that this is important to us is because we we are an organization made up of people. Um, without, Without our people, we essentially don't have a business. And so it is critically important to our business to have people that feel empowered and that are taking care of themselves that are uh, embedding well-being into their daily lives, whatever that means to them, however they define it. And often people ask me how I came upon this chief well-being officer role. And the truth is, it's really out of it was really out of necessity for myself. Uh, about five and a half years ago, I found myself in a place of complete burnout and um, having to come back from that and redefine what well-being meant for me in my life really got me passionate about this topic and really got me passionate about wanting to bring well-being to all of my colleagues at Deloitte. And so that set me on the path of creating a business case and selling it to our leaders at the firm. And uh, five and a half years later, we have truly uh, been on an incredible journey to to change the, the, the culture of Deloitte and position us well for the future with, with all of our people feeling empowered to take care of themselves. Thank you, Jen Fisher. I find it very refreshing and emboldening that you talked about your experience with burnout. And that's probably something we're going to be hearing more and more as people are transitioning during this pandemic time through the COVID-19 lens, if you will. Mm -hmm. They're transitioning to working at home. And this is something a lot of people didn't choose. They didn't want. They don't know how to do it. Do you think we will see a surge in burnout that we will have to deal with in the workforce, Jen? You know, it's it's a good question. I mean, I think that there was already a lot of burnout uh, prior to Prior to COVID, I think um, as we are all adjusting to this temporary normal that we that we are in, I think that um, you know the, the burnout perhaps is, is different. The, the boundaries that we used to have in place uh, don't feel like we have any. I, I keep calling it work without borders or work without boundaries, um, and so. I think um, it's more important than ever for all of us to start paying attention to our well-being and putting those boundaries and those borders in place that we 
that we need. Um, I, I remain hopeful um, that we are, that we're learning along the way um, and that we um, are giving each other uh, kind of more, more grace and compassion perhaps than, than we used to um, and helping one another figure this out and sharing our own strategies, uh, which I think will help to alleviate some of the potential burnout, but also um, it's something that I hope we continue to see in the future as we, uh, as we move forward. Thank you. Great points, Jen, and welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise. Let's move around the table to somebody who's been on this show a couple times and many times over the years with me on my Game Changers radio series, Darwin Deano. Darwin, you know what I like to say when you're on a show with me, in case there's one human being around the world who doesn't know who you are, (laughs) let's just indulge them and why don't you tell them who you are and what you do and what does this topic mean to you, Darwin? I appreciate that, Bonnie. Hi. Um, so Darwin Diano, I am the global SAP Chief Technology Officer for Deloitte. Um, very, very glad to be here to share any perspective that could help. Uh, this topic is very important to me because I truly believe that sometimes we, we lose the plot on technology, right? We somehow get confused that all that we're doing is technology for technology's sake, uh, when the reality is you know, it's all about elevating humans. It's about elevating human potential. And, um, you know, I agree with Jen that there's been an onslaught of um, change um, that has now been made visible uh, with the pandemic, right? So a lot of people have been burning out in private, and, and I think well-being cannot be overemphasized. So very, very dear to my heart, and um, I'm a big champion of focusing on this more um, than we traditionally have. Thank you, Darwin. Always a pleasure to speak with you. And now let's move one more seat around our virtual table to Nishida Henry. She's a newcomer to our podcast here. Nishida, pleasure to have you on board. And why don't you tell us who you are, what you do, and what your perspective is on the well-being topic, please. Great. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. I'm Nishida Henry. I serve as our Chief Innovation Officer for Deloitte Consulting. Um, And really in that role, I am responsible for enabling our business to evolve from one that has been historically purely services-based to one where we are developing solutions and IP to meet our clients' mission needs. So it's really a fun role where I get to work with a lot of our ecosystem partners like startups, um, technology providers, um, and other uh, non-traditional providers of services and technology to develop those net new solutions. Um, And one of the topics we talk um, about in great detail is well-being because it's obviously an impact on the future of work, right? And the future of work was a topic that was front and center even prior to COVID um, as a uh, conversation around where we'll work, how we'll work, when we'll work, right? And what we'll work on. And the fact is, is this environment has just accelerated that conversation. And we have to be much more creative and much more thoughtful around how do we enable people to bring their full selves to the workplace and extend that to their personal lives in new and creative ways using technology, um, using different forms of communication, and changing our mentality on what types of things we work on. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you. I, I really enjoyed your perspective on the topic, but I have a question, and I have a question for you, Nishida. You mentioned working with startups. Do you think this is a time when they are basically throwing caution to the wind and saying, this is an opportunity for me to come into this some market in some marketplace in the world, and I have a solution that's going to help everybody in the next new normal or whatever kind of normal we're talking about. Do you think that there could be new burnout, to use Jen Fisher's word, new burnout among startups that are willing to work 98 hours straight to get into a market because they see an opportunity that wasn't there before? What's your thought? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all know the economic upheaval uh, this situation is causing, which causes uh, financial markets to dry up in different ways and therefore startups not to have enough funding, right, to take their time to work their traditional roadmaps um, and their, and continue on their original path. And they're going to have to pivot. Um, they're going to have to think about markets they intended to enter that may not be as lucrative anymore. They're going to have to find new ways to enter different markets. They're going to have to find ways to adapt their solutions um, to a more 
virtual environment. And those that will succeed are the ones that are willing to make those changes and nimbly adapt, as well as, you know, work work really hard, um, you know, to, to differentiate themselves. And unfortunately, that doesn't always lead to immediate well-being, as is our topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've got to think about, you know, the short-term impacts as well as the, the long-term potential. Thank you, Nishida. I appreciate you indulging my question. If somebody is just tuning in, this is the Kinetic Enterprise Built to Evolve presented by Deloitte. We're already up to episode 15. We started this series in 2020. And today's episode focuses on reimagining well-being during a transformation. And we couldn't think of a I couldn't think of a better word to talk about what we're in. And I think a transformation is a really interesting way of captioning what we're all living through. My special guest today, you've just met them are Jen Fisher, Darwin Deano, and Nishita Henry at Deloitte. This is the part of the show where I have asked each of my esteemed panelists, as busy as they are, to find a quote from a book, a movie, a song, somebody they admire that on the surface has nothing to do with the topic. I will read the quote and a little background on the source and then ask each of them to explain why they picked the quote and how it relates to our topic. So Jen Fisher is up first and Jen has sent us a wonderful quote from Brené Brown, Full name Cassandra with one S, Brene Brown, and with the French accent Aigu on the second E. Cassandra Brene Brown, PhD, LMSW, young woman born in 65, professor, lecturer, author, podcast host, and she has so many accolades and so many achievements, but all I'll say is that her TED Talk is one of the top five most viewed TED Talks in the world. OMG. And here is the quote that, forgive me for that, Jen, it's very impressive. Uh, Here's the quote that Jen has selected from Brene Brown. Vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. I'm getting chills here, Jen. It's a beautiful quote. Tell me, how in the world did you find this one? And what does it have to do with our topic today? So I'm a huge fan and follower of uh, Brené Brown, uh, and this came from her book, Rising Strong. And I think, you know, what this quote means to me and how it does relate to the topic that we're talking about today is that, you know, vulnerability is something that is uniquely human. And when it comes to our well-being and speaking up for our own well-being needs, asking for what we need, advocating for ourselves, advocating for others, and role modeling what well-being looks like in our own life, that requires us to be vulnerable because it requires us to show up. It requires us to be seen, to talk about things that perhaps, you know, we never thought we would be talking about in a, in a work setting to share parts of us that are, you know, that are related to our personal life um, and also be willing to be there and hold the space for others to do the same. And so I think, for, for many of us and for most of our lives, we were taught that vulnerability is a weakness, that, you know, to not be vulnerable, to always be strong, you know, to, to, to be courageous requires you to be strong and to show up in a certain way. Um, but the truth is, is being vulnerable is, is, is very hard. Um, and, it, and, and it requires someone who's very strong to show up and to be vulnerable and to, you know, not be worried about um, what others think and what the outcome is going to be, but just to be authentically who they are and to create that space for others to do the same. Thank you. Very thoughtful answer. And vulnerable is, as you say, not worrying about what others think of you. But I would also like to add that it's about learning from the experience of what it was like Mm. to be vulnerable, right? And letting it become part of you and what can you do with it after. I think think all of us could speak from personal experience with that. Thank you for an absolutely beautiful quote, Jen. Thank you for the Brene Brown quote. Let me move around to Darwin, another beautiful source. He's quoting Rudyard Kipling. The poem is If some of our young listeners around the world may never have heard Darwin of either Kipling or if. So let me give a little background here. Joseph Rudyard, R-U-D-Y-A-R-D, Kipling, 1865 to 1936. And can you imagine, Darwin, if he knew there would be something called the internet and we would be talking around the world with no wires and we would be hearing each other from different places? Imagine if, if, if. Uh, Kipling was an English journalist, short story writer, poet, and novelist born in India, which inspired much of his work. People may know his works of fiction, most famous were The Jungle Book in 1894, still still very popular, Kim, and short stories including The Man Who Would Be King from 1888. But today we're talking about one of his poems, If, and here's the story, If is a poem 
written about 1895 as a tribute to Leander Starred Jameson. It's a literary example of Victorian-era Stoicism. The poem was first published in Rewards and Fairies, 1910, which was a collection of Kipling's poetry and short story fiction. The chapter, I do my homework, Darwin. The chapter was Brother Square Toes, and it's written in the form of paternal advice to the poet's son, John. That's a good setup. Here's the quote. If you could, if, and this is one of many ifs in the poem, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything in it. Darwin, I'm getting chills from this one, too. Talk to me. How'd you find this one? Yeah, no, thanks, Bonnie. And, and actually, I, I am genuinely surprised that um, it had a connection to Stoicism, which I'm also a big fan, uh, fan of. So I, I think there's a connection there. But uh, I selected this because I think it's a great, you know, at, at the macro level, it's a great call to resilience, right, to you know, uh, empowering the human spirit to to remain calm and carry on despite everything that's going on uh, around you. And, you know, what better time to talk about resilience um, than the time that we are living in now. Um, but on uh, from a health perspective uh, as well, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, great um, uh, implications of, of what um, Mr. Kipling was talking about because, you know, it's very well known that if you take five deep breaths, you bring more oxygen to your body and you encourage health, right? So overall, you can't go wrong by, by reading this poem and thinking about, you know, how can it help me respond, persevere, be more resilient amidst all of this constant chaos that, you know, is uh, the onslaught of it that's given to our people. So, um, so yeah, that, that was the background. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Uh, Darwin, I may have told you this when we spoke a couple of days ago, a, a dear friend of my family who's no longer around printed out in some kind of lovely script. I, I think he, t I don't know what he did, whether he was on a computer. Uh, he was, it was quite elderly at the time, but he printed out if for me the poem and I taped yeah. it to the side of one of the bookcases in my office when I was living in New York. I probably have it here somewhere when I moved to Durham. I haven't, I haven't seen it in a while, but it's an absolutely beautiful poem. And it's really the story of who we are if we really don't know and what if. So thank you very much, Darwin. Beautiful quote. And our third panelist, Nishida Henry, has sent us a quote from one of the superstars of basketball, Coach John Wooden, full name John Robert Wooden, 1910 to 2010. There is a lot of years in there. American basketball player and head coach at University of California, L.A. His nickname was the Wizard of Westwood. He won 10 NCAA national championships in 12 years as the head coach at UCLA, including a record seven in, the row, in a row. He won the prestigious Henry Iba Award as National Coach of the Year seven times and the AP Award five times and all kinds of other awards. He was quite amazing in his time and certainly is not forgotten. Here's the quote Nishida has selected. Be more concerned with your character than with your reputation. Your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. <laughs> I love this one, Nishida. I'm, I'm saying to myself, what do people, we just finished saying, don't worry about what people think of you, be vulnerable. <laughs> and now we're saying, uh-oh. So talk to me, Nishida. Thank you for this quote. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I think I resonate with this mainly because, you know, you have to be centered in yourself at all times. You have to be, you know, proud of who you are when you're in front of people and when you're alone. And I think times like this cause you to reflect on the decisions you make, um, you know, the stances you take, the way that you interact and treat other people, um, and knowing that, you know, what you believe has to come out in any one of those situations and not because someone's watching you, but because you know in yourself it's the right thing to do and it aligns with your set of values. And I think at times like this, when we're now isolated 
Um, we're quarantined, we're working behind computer screens, and we're not in front of people um, nearly as much, although I feel like I'm on Zoom calls 12 hours a day. But yes. other than that, <laughs> um, you know, I think it's important um, that the little things we do, uh, you know, continue to line up with the values we um, hold ourselves accountable for, whether it's, you know, how do we, you know, interact with our family members every day in an environment where, you know, we might be together too much? <laughs> how do we allow our um, you know, practitioners and our employees, the time they need with their families, with acceptance and understanding, and even knowing we all still have deadlines. Um, how do we support those in our community, right, that are struggling in different ways, whether they have family members or they themselves are working on the front line in the healthcare communities or in our grocery stores, um, or whether, you know, they've got family members struggling because they're ill. Um, and so knowing and understanding how we fit in to our entire community is, is deeply important to me. And the things that we do um, to demonstrate that connection is all about who we are as people and our character. Um, it has nothing to do with uh, our reputation um, in the public sphere. Thank you, Nishida. Do you, do you think we are more, I'm going to ask this around the panel, but let me start with Nishida and then quickly, then Jen and, and Darwin. As people see us, they see our facial expressions, our body language, how we hold ourselves in this new visual video conferencing medium. And I say new because, as you said, Nishida, you think you're on, what, 12 hours a day on Zoom? Well, who isn't? And so people are seeing us where they didn't see us on conference calls. We all know the jokes about enterprise corporate conference calls where you got a team of 40 or 50. And, oh, I recognize Mary's voice. Oh, I reckon Mary sounds upset. No, she doesn't. She's fine. We, we heard voices. We had no idea what they were really doing or thinking. Now we're all Bear. What's your thought about that? Do you think that's adding to to forced authenticity, Nishida? Let's just go around the table, but start with you. You think it's a good thing? Um, you know, I think there's really some benefits for sure. What I, what I've learned is that we see each other personally and more authentically in our own spaces. I have my kids mm -hmm. sometimes that just interrupt because that's what kids do. <laughs> or, yeah. you know, my dog comes and is barking because, you know, he sees a squirrel running in the backyard. And, and we see each other, you know, as people, which I think honestly has gone a long way towards that human connection that we didn't always get in an office setting, even though you were in person. Because you didn't know that part of other people's lives before. Um, so I think that there's a true benefit, right? I, I think some of the downside is, is you're always on, right? Yep. Because, you know, in an office setting, even in a conference room, everyone's usually focused on one person at a time. But when everybody's <laughs> displayed on Zoom, you're focused on everybody all the time. So you're always worrying, oh, am I, is my hair right? Am I making the right facial expression? Did I get distracted, right? So there's a little bit more of that preoccupation that I think, you know, we've got to figure out a way to, um, to maybe not be on video as much or maybe, um, you know, use in a different way. Thank you. Self-esteem takes on a whole new value proposition, doesn't it? <laughs> sure does. Jen Fisher. Thank you, Nishita. Jen Fisher, join us on this. We're just going to go around this and then we're going to pick some discussion statements. What do you think, Jen? This is a topic that I have extreme passion over. So I would just say in this new world that we're living in, um, quality still reigns over quantity when it comes to how we use our technology, especially when it impacts our well-being. So being on a video call for 12 hours a day does go a little bit in the face of all of the things that we say we need to do for our well-being, like being able to get up and move around and walk around and stand up and sit down and have something to eat and drink some water, go to the restroom. Um, and so I would say, um, while I completely agree with a lot of the things that Nishida said, I mean, I know what books my colleagues are reading. I'm a book nerd. Um, so I love to see what books are on people's bookshelves. We are getting to know people in a different way. People are being vulnerable and authentic. They're showing up to video calls um, without the blue blazer on, you know, just kind of how they are, um, which I think, which I think is amazing. Um, and I, and again, I hope that that's something that, that, that continues, but I think that we all also need to get very clear again, I'm going to go back to boundaries about what works for us. If we're, yeah. you know, perhaps introverted or extroverted, right. And be open and authentic about what your needs are. I very often join a video call and say, Hey, I'm not going to get on the video portion of the call because I can't right now. Um, and giving everybody the permission to do that, that you don't have to, just because the video call is a video call doesn't mean you have to be on video or use some other form of technology that isn't necessarily video and understand what it works, what works for your team and what you need to accomplish. What's the objective 
of what you're trying to get done with that connection point. Does it need to be video? Can it be something else? Can it be email? Can it be text message, right? We seem to have kind of forgotten about these other modes of communication and connection that we have to each other that can be just as valuable depending on what your objective is. Thank you. That was interesting, Jen. I wasn't expecting that. You're absolutely right. There are other alternatives to being bare and authentic in front of people all the time. I'm not, I've had women say to me, I didn't fix my hair, I didn't do my makeup. I'm not putting my video on. I say, ah, come on, it's among friends. And well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Darwin, what do you think? What do you think about that? Being in front of people, that authenticity, that vulnerability, is that well-being a good thing or a bad thing? I, I think it's a matter of balance. Um, when you think about being able to see the nonverbal um, signals, right, which is one of the biggest um, challenges when just having a phone call, you're not able to see how people react, how people respond, how they pay attention, how they engage. I think it's a very, very powerful thing to have that capability. But at the same time, you want to have, uh, as Jen said, boundaries, right? Your personal space. When do you not desire to be in front and, and visible like that? Um, and what's interesting is, I think the definition of those boundaries are unique from one person to the other. And it, it, it's not constant. It will change depending on their personal circumstance. And being able to respect that, being able to encourage them uh, and establishing some norms, I think, um, it's going to be key uh, for the longevity of, of leveraging these kinds of uh, communication methods, right? But I'm um, all, all for it. I think the more that um, we have, it, it just increases the nonverbal cues that we would have otherwise uh, missed if uh, we did not have that visual um, input. Thank you very much all. Thank you all for indulging my question. I appreciate it. It wasn't what we were going to talk about, but I think it, it really was. Jen Fisher, I'm looking at your notes here, the wonderful statements you send me for our, for our formal roundtable, which we are in right now. I'm going to read part of the first one. And Jen, I'm going to ask you to unpack it. Why don't you take about two minutes to add your thought leadership to it, and then we're going to see what Darwin thinks about it and then what Nishida thinks about it. So we'll do a true roundtable. Here's what Jen told me before the show. Statement number one, the disparity and challenges posed by the fourth industrial revolution as artificial intelligence, which we finally call AI, robotics, the Internet of Things, and virtual reality not only become more entwined with our work but are perceived as competitors, seem to threaten the value of what makes us human. I'm going to stop there, Jen. Talk to me. What does this, how does this relate to our well-being topic? Yeah. So again, another topic that I am incredibly passionate about. And so I am a big fan of the fourth industrial revolution. I'm a big fan of technology. I'm not a technology hater, nor do I think that our technology should go away or needs to go away. Um, I think what I mean by this statement is that um, there is, there will, there is, and there will always be a role for the human in, in the work that we do now and in the future. Um, And I think, you know, one of the things with the kind of incredible surge of technology into every aspect of our life, um, you know, and, and kind of with, with, without, without any boundaries really, um, and without us really knowing what the impact is and was because it happened so quickly. And again, it's across all aspects of our, our life, including, including our work, we have felt like we need to compete with, with our technology. So with artificial intelligence, with computers, with machines that can work 24 hours a day, humans cannot work 24 hours a day sustainably and be and do what humans do best, which is vulnerability, authenticity, creativity, pa- compassion, empathy, creative problem solving, things like that, things that our technology can't do for us, won't be able to do for us in any, you know, any time in the, in the near or probably medium distant term future. Um, and so I think we need to step back and celebrate, celebrate our technology and what the technology can do for us and how that makes us better as humans and how it makes the human race better, but also celebrate who we are as humans and what we bring to the equation and recognizing that in order to do what humans do and do it sustainably and do it well, we need to be taking care of ourselves. We need to be sleeping. We need to be, you know, movement and exercise. We need to be eating right. We need to do all of the things that make us 
you know, make us well. I say what makes us well makes us human, right? So all of the things that allow us to show up and to do the things that only we can do as human beings, we need to celebrate that as opposed to, as opposed to trying to compete with this technology. And so we need to create this symbiotic relationship with our technology so that, so that our technology is actually very positively impacting who we are as human beings and therefore impacting our well-being. Thank you. Very interesting perspective. I'm sure Darwin has something to add. Darwin, agree, disagree, or anything in between with Jen? Go ahead. I, I, I agree. I, I think actually um, the extent of um, the threat um, is actually more pronounced than people realize. Hmm. Because in certain, I mean, this is why I think there's a correlation that the fourth industrial revolution um, and everything that happened um, that happens associated with it and after um, there's a correlation between that and the noise around, you know, universal basic income and other things that are being discussed in, 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 um, in a lot of technology circles because uh, it is a threat. Um, and I love Jen's comment about um, finding a symbiotic relationship, right? Because it's not about replacing the human, it's about empowering, elevating, unleashing the human. So what are we doing overall in general to harness that capability? If we say we're only, we're limited by a lot of the redundant manual tasks that are now all going away, how do we then pivot ourselves, our health and well-being, our education, our training programs to take advantage and realize and help facilitate that symbiotic relationship that Jen is describing. I think that's one of the things that is not necessarily prioritized because sometimes you get lost in the gloss of technology. I think that's a quotable moment, Mr. Deano, lost in the gloss of technology. <laughs> I love I that. Like that, Jen? I like that one. Darwin, that's what they French would say is bon mot. I like that one. Nishita Henry, you've been waiting patiently. Talk to us about what Jen said and or what Darwin added. Go ahead, Nishita. Yeah, no, I would fully agree with my colleagues, right? Uh, you know, I think we all recognize the benefits that will come from a lot of these technologies, and we all recognize there are a lot of challenges. Um, and what I would say is we have to embrace what we're calling the age of width, right? Darwin said it is a symbiotic relationship. It's humans and machines working together, right? Mm -hmm. To create our version of the future. And like Jen said, do what humans do best, which is the connectivity, the empathy, um, the communication, the, um, you know, personalization pieces where our machines can really work on the standardization and the automation and the things that are rote and the things that are our routine, right? And how do we be able to focus our human energy on doing the things that creates that personalization and use the machine energy to take those routine tasks, uh, you know, off of our plates and make room for us to be more creative and us to be more connected to each other and us to be more focused on our vision and strategy for the future. Um, and, and, you know, as Darwin said at the beginning, it's hard because a lot of humans do a lot of those routine jobs and changes there is, is, is definitely disruptive. And we have to do it carefully with a great deal of thought and understanding with the ability to help people reskill and retrain with us to actually question our underlying economic underpinnings. And do we, you know, talk about things like the universal basic income or, you know, help with re-education and retraining, um, you know, refocusing how our schools educate people and what we focus on there in order to be ready for the future. So there are a lot of systemic things that we have to do for us to be truly ready to live in the age of with. But to be honest, whether we're ready or not, it's coming. And so it's upon us to actually make sure that we are leading the future and making sure that we are bringing all those elements together as we move into this next industrial revolution. Thank you, Nishida. I'm going to add one more word to your list of re-words. I know we're talking about reimagining well-being today. I'm going to add the word respect because when people are told, ah, that's mundane, that's ordinary, a machine can do it. We don't need you to do that anymore. The implication may be seen as dang, they don't need me anymore. What do I do? You talk about retraining and reprioritizing. Well, I think we need to add that element of showing respect for people who did contribute that job because that's what we told them we needed, right, Nishida? We told them. Uh, we, absolutely. 
the world told them they needed it for a very long time. And, and we did. It's not even that we told yep. them. We did need it, right? It was essential to us getting to where we are, um, at, you know, as a human race. And now we've got to figure out not how do we stop it or how do we, um, you know, take a hard left, but how do we adapt? How do we evolve? How do we continue to grow new skills? Because it used to be that you could learn the same thing and apply it for 30 to 40 years. You can't do that anymore. You can't, you can't learn to work, right? You have to work to learn. And that's a retraining fundamentally of us as humans and, and how we continue to adapt as, as we you know, continue to evolve our own careers and our lives. Thank you very much. I'm going to throw a word out here before I go to one of Darwin's statements here. I, I did a radio show on my technology revolution, the future of now show about a week ago. And the topic was Techno-human, some people call them transhuman, where that intersection, I think I've heard all of you use the word symbiosis and balance, that intersection of what do we need to do with machines versus how can we still stay human. Anybody want to comment? Is that a word that's applicable to this discussion, Jen or Darwin or Nishida? Techno-human? I think it should be human-techno, but techno-human? Anybody comments? Uh, well, it's interesting when you say the techno-human, right? I call it that age of with, and y- you mm-hmm. can say even now, right? I mean, we all wear smartwatches, and yes. we have, you know, you know, measure our heart rate monitors and our sleep scores, and, you know, we, we right now I'm sitting with four screens in front of me, right? Um, and we are living in that world, and we, we don't exist without technology anymore, right? Um, you know, what I call it completely attached. <laughs> um, in some cases, yes, but I think we also have to learn, and, and I'd love to hear Jen's perspective on this, how do you separate yourself at some point to realize, right, we do have a ton of human characteristics that we shouldn't let the machine supersede or shouldn't let it replace because it can't, even though sometimes, you know, we want it to tell us how to sleep better. At the end of the day, you know how to sleep better, right? <laughs> get rid of the distractions, turn off the lights, don't sleep with the TV in the room, and get That's back right. to human basics. So I think that there is a you know a benefit as well as you know a detriment to us relying too much on that techno human aspect. I like the way you put that, Jen Fisher. You have been summoned. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm a big fan of this whole techno human concept. Um, I, I, I get it. Um, I, I agree a hundred percent with with what Nishida said. Um, you know, the technology that um, is all around us. I, I think again, it, it, the technology itself is not good or bad. Um, it's really how we're using it, right? And as human beings, we do have a choice in how we use our technology, and so we can choose to use it in a way that enhances our well-being. We don't need a tracker to tell us how we're sleeping. However, if the tracker helps you develop better sleep habits and sleep rituals, then I'm all for it. Um, but, but the truth is, is like Nishita said, we all know what we need to do to sleep better. We all know what we need to do to eat better. If you are using your technology in a way that is beneficial to your well-being and keeps you on track and enhances your well-being, then I'm a fan of it. It's not required. It's not necessarily needed. But the technology itself, like I said, is not good or bad. It's just how we choose to use it. Thank you. Very well put. Thank you both for Darwin. You want to chime in on that one or I would like to go to two of your statements in your your list you sent me. What do you think, Darwin? Up to you. Please proceed. Yeah, let's go. Okay. I'm going to combine statement number one and statement number three, Darwin. I I think they go well together and, and we're going to keep moving on this conversation about well-being. So you say well-being is commonly an afterthought. Ooh, that burns. 80% of the effort during a transformation should be focused on people, Darwin says, and how we enhance or at least maintain their well-being. Very important point. Now, statement number three, let me keep going here. The true north of any enterprise transformation or innovation is unleashing human potential. Cost efficiencies, SG&A, you have to tell me what that is, growth avoidance are all side effects but not the primary goals on their own. Darwin, unpack this, please. Yes, um, that, that, that's quite a bit to unpack. Um, <laughs> but but the, the, the reality is, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's very connected to the topic you, that we just discussed, right? Um, I am all for augmenting the human, but the human identity, the human well-being, um, and... and um, uh, character needs to be protected even without the augmentation, right? Um, so 
we do get lost with some of the business benefits of some of the technologies that we adopt. We do get lost with um, the amazing technology that's available to us and what it can do now to replace what was previously dependent on humans. And, and I think uh, there is a very strong reminder that we need to kind of always um, uh, bring up to everyone going through that journey that um, we need to make sure that we protect um, human well-being uh, as part of that conversation. Um, and I was reflecting on, on our conversation uh, topic today, and and uh, I was drawn to um, Louis Kahn. Uh, he, he's, he's the guy who said that every even a brick wants to be something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, in some ways, it's a great it's a great analogy to, you know what? Um, yes, you might have additional bricks, additional materials that could build, you know, the next big architecture. Um, but every single component, especially the human component, um, needs to be looked at with the same level of of um, uh, importance, the same level of um, adoration, the same level of um, respect. Uh, as as you uh, called out, Bonnie. So mm-hmm. um, that's a quick perspective on on those two lines. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's go around the table quickly. Uh, Nishida, why don't you comment on what Darwin said? Then we'll get Jen. And then Nishida, I'm looking at a couple of your statements I want to squeeze in before we finish the show. So Nishida, what do you think about Darwin's proposal there? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, I, like I said, like he said, he believes in, you know, look, humans can be augmented, right, by the tech. Um, and I agree with that. Um, but I think we need to understand, right, where the, the tech ends and the human begins and vice versa um, in order to make sure that we are making truly sound decisions. And we're focused on the ethics of some of the tech and the decisions that are being made, right? We talk a lot about tech ethics these days because, you know, at the end of the day, do you really believe that the machine has all of the thought process and the nuance to make sure that we are treating everybody fairly without bias and um, creating equal environments for all. Now, theoretically, you could say yes, because the machines, right, themselves have no bias. Unfortunately, the machines have been programmed by humans that have bias, right? Um, And so I think that we just need to be really clear and understanding of as we create this Um, augmented world between humans and machines, knowing how we built the machine to make these decisions or to make these recommendations is incredibly important. And taking into consideration very specifically what we want to make sure, um, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm going to hold for a second because my children just came down to have dance class and that's the background you hear. So I'm going to move upstairs and we're going to redo this. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. Let me go around the table. Uh, Jen, why don't you keep this going? Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to focus on the well-being lens as, as you would expect. And so I think what we what we need to always keep front and center is, like Darwin said, you know, the, the, the well-being of the humans involved. And if I reflect on the way um, that, that we have been working for however many years, pick your favorite number, you know, well-being has become something that, that many organizations are highly focused on, but well-being is still a layer on top of the way that we have worked forever, basically, right? So when we get to it, we get to it. I think where we need to go, um, especially in any transformation, and perhaps we're all learning this real time right now with what we're going through related to COVID is, you know, well-being needs to be something that is embedded in part of the way that we work, right? It needs to be part of every day, you know, everything, something that we do every single day, just like we do meetings, just like we, you know, eat lunch, just like, you know, I mean, just like we wake up and brush our teeth, we need to embed steps to our own personal and individual professional well-being into the work day so that it's not an afterthought or so that it's not something that is layered on top of what we do. And I think that that's really important in any transformation because you have the ability at that point in time to say, we're going to do this differently. And this is the way that it's going to look right. And so we're all struggling right now in this work from home situation. We've talked about the boundaries and being on video calls for 12 hours a day. You know, if we step back and we said, how do we embed well-being into our day and actually, you know, physically put it into our calendar, right? Because that's the way that we manage our days right now. Mm -hmm. If you put you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, workout, and you stuck to it and you embedded it and you gave everybody else permission to do the same, I think our work and the way that we work would change. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, Darwin, did you want to add something to what Jen just said? I heard you. Oh, I, 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 I love uh, that concept of um, embedding um, well-being, right? So just to kind of bring it back full circle, when we do transformation projects or initiatives, we would have very, very specific metrics for cost efficiencies or reductions of selling general and administrative expenses, SGNA. Uh, we should have a specific metric for well-being, right? It should be at the same level of importance, the same level of focus for it to be not an afterthought, as, as Jen said. And I think that's that's absolutely one of the key things that, you know, I think we should advocate um, businesses to explore, right, um, the, how to move the needle and how to not make it an afterthought. Thank you very much. We're waiting for Nishida to come back yep. and join us. Oh, there you are. I'm back. Sorry. Hi, Nishida. Listen, this is a real this is part of the well-being of the new reality. We have families, <laughs> we have kids, and that's important. And we're leaving that in, other than yeah, we're leaving that in. So, Nishida, I was looking at your statements, and here's something we haven't talked about. We have just a few minutes left, but this is really important. I'm going to combine a little from your statement one a little from your statement too. You say that was number one. Number two, you say we have to learn how to work with our competitors instead of against them. Can you combine those two for me, Nishida, and give me a little of relationship to our well-being? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to connect those, but I'm going to just close on one thing that Darwin and, and Jen said around making well-being part of our everyday, which I 100% agree with. But I think a lot of this is in our control as leaders too, not just by giving ourselves a well-being score, but by being realistic about the objectives we set for our projects, the timelines and the schedules we commit to, um, the resources we dedicate to projects, right? We, we always are trying to do more, more, more with less, 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 and then assuming that it has no impact on well-being. People can just work harder, right? Yep. Um, and so mm-hmm. I just think we have to be incredibly realistic about those things and, and be clear about when we are going to be um, realistic around this may take a little longer. This may cost a little more, but it's in the best interest of us as humans in order for that to happen. So um, I'll, ju- I'll leave that there. Um, the other statement around, you know, we have more smart people outside our organization mm-hmm. and how do we work with our competition? Um you know, it's all about co-opetition these days. In some cases, your um, competitor may be directly competing against you. In others, you're developing joint solutions to go to market and tackle another part of, of, of the market itself, right? Um, and you have to think strategically around how you use um, ecosystem partners in those multitude of ways, right? There is no organization that can do everything soup to nuts anymore, um, you know, it's funny, you started this, Bonnie, with the, the built to last comment, right? Mm-hmm. And another one of Jim Collins's books is, you know, from good to great. And one of the big things in that is around the hedgehog concept of finding what you're really good at, and using partners and others around you to help augment the things you're not um, as focused on or passionate about or, or as strong yet to, to to build a complete package. Um, and so we look a lot around, you know, who has the best technology in space X, where who has the best communications in space Y, and how do we pull that together with our unique understanding of, you know, a particular client's um, mission? And how do we bring those together in order to create a holistic solution that we alone might not have been able to create by ourselves? you know, different spaces like manufacturing, you know, we're not manufacturing organizations, but we know a heck of a lot about supply chains and the efficiency of those um, and operations given the breadth of clients we work with. But we should be teaming with the engineering companies who are building the machines, with the cloud infrastructure companies who are building the backbones of the new software technology, you know, of the networking companies that are building the communication standards for things like 5G. And how do we bring that together to create a true kind of smart ecosystem that enables people to get to the end faster and with better better well-being because they Uh haven't had to do it all themselves? Thank you very much, Nishida. We have just a couple minutes left. Let me just tap on Jen here for about 60 seconds, comments on the very interesting words of wisdom Nishida shared. Jen, what do you think? Hey, you know, I think she, I think she said it all, better well-being. I, I, can't, think of a better, I can't think of a better way to end this. <laughs> I appreciate that. Darwin, chime in, please. Balance, balance and staying positive, I think, uh, for, from my perspective. 
Okay, so let's go around the table. We've got just a couple minutes left, and I want to get some, let's do some predictions. Let's make this into a lightning round for predictions. So I'll start with you, Jen Fisher, and you can take about 60 seconds, use them well. What would be your perspective if we met again? I almost don't want to say the end of 2020, Jen, because we're really not sure how we're how fast we're headed and what's going to happen in the next, what, eight months. But let's say uh, by, by the end of 2021, let's hope there's a good light at the end of the tunnel. So what do you believe will happen or what do you predict will happen, Jen Fisher, about well-being in the business setting by the end of 2021? Give me a barometer or a checkup here. What do you see? My my prediction and my strong strong hope, and we're seeing a lot of it now um, with that with with what we're dealing with related to COVID is related to vulnerability, but the vulnerability that we're all collectively experiencing around the impacts to our mental health. Uh, we are all experiencing heightened levels of stress and anxiety and worry right now, and people are being vulnerable and open and talking about it um, and having real conversations. And I predict that this is going to change. The conversation that we have in our workplaces as well in our, as well as in our society uh, around mental health and, and have a recognition that we, we all have mental health and we're all susceptible to ill mental health at different points in our life. And we need to treat it in much the same way that we treat our physical illnesses uh, with compassion, with kindness and with love. Thank you. I'm glad you brought that last word in there. And we love your we love your statements, Jen. I could use it now. Darwin, 60 <laughs> seconds. What's your prediction? Go ahead. I think that the pandemic um, has really is really going to help us develop new muscles, new ways to cope, new ways to have a healthier appreciation for well-being, for managing the boundaries and the balance. So I actually think that um, in the end, um, there will be an uplift of, of well-being that could result from all of this um, and, um, you know, uh, just a better, better environment all over. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm optimistic, Bonnie. I like optimism. You know that, Darwin. And Nishida Henry, why don't you get the last word on our lightning round of predictions? What do you see? Great. Uh, I'm, I too am optimistic. I think that, you know, with change brings great opportunity. And while the change itself is hard and rocky, what comes on the other side can be brilliant, right? I think we are forever changed in the way we work, how we work, where we work. And I think as we get through this um, time period where we're figuring out boundaries and questioning how to continue to support our mental health and our families, um, we're going to figure that out and we're going to be better off. And I think that as people move into a post-COVID world, we're going to find ways that we're going to reduce our travel, spend more time at home, take more time out for our well-being, um, because we've realized how vital and important it is for all of our successes. Thank you. So well put. I'm so impressed with the three of you. And I have to do a shout out to Malia Aguilar at Deloitte for helping to support and put this show together. She's here in the room with us and and spurring us on. I can hear you applauding silently, Malia. Great panel. Carla, Neil Slavin at Deloitte and Helen Tomas are two of the sponsors of this series. This has been the Kinetic Enterprise Built to Evolve presented by Deloitte. And one final thank you to our three esteemed panelists. We have had Jen Fisher at Deloitte, Darwin Diano at Deloitte, and Nishida Henry at Deloitte. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. You know what I always say, be safe, be smart, and be well. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Kinetic Enterprise, Built to Evolve, presented by Deloitte. Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.